So guys, thank you for lending your ears and your attention to this episode. Today, I have with me a special guest. He's a Charlotte photographer, individual with albinism, creative. But before I get into it, I'll let him introduce himself. Please welcome Gavin Boulware. What's going on? How are you? Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Um, no as, I, as you stated, I am a Charlotte photographer. Um, I'm a fellow podcaster. Um, I love all the creators because uh, I know how it is. A, doing a podcast, A, trying to be creative, and then, you know, another thing of having albinism. So I'm so glad to be here. I'm super excited for this podcast. And thank you so much for having me. Seriously. Seriously. Thank you for being here. I I, <laughs> I kind of uh, found your content because someone else with albinism had like posted a reel that you had done in okay. their IG story. And I was like, oh, first of all, <laughs> this is a photographer doing a dope reel. And then second of all, he got albinism. Let me do some digging. And then yeah. I was like, man, he looked like he busy, but let me just try and reach out and see what happens. So I really appreciate you, uh, you know, spending some time with us on the Better Not Better podcast. Absolutely. And I'm here. Look, anytime, <laughs> anytime um, I tell people all the time, like being being a creative, it's one of those things where it's like if you have an opportunity to connect with somebody else, always take that opportunity. Always make the time. Always figure out, you know, the only time you should not be able to work with that person if it's just not possible. You know mm. what I'm saying? And sometimes that happens where it's not possible. But for this, um, you know, connecting with you, seeing somebody else that has albinism is like, hey, I'm a creative. I was just like, oh, it's a no brainer. I'm doing this. So I'm super glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we're going to get right into it. The question that I start out with everybody is, you know, just tell us a little bit about your experience. Um, however, you know, you decide to go on about it, about having albinism, you know, growing up with albinism, um, even discovery uh what it meant to live with albinism okay that that is a deep question um so with me personally i didn't know i looked different until oh my goodness it had to be like the fourth grade third or fourth grade i really did not know i looked different from any other kid which is super funny so growing up i don't i guess skin was just never skin color um that was never something that i was faced with um, until like, I remember this day, uh, it's kind of sad now. All right. So I'm in the third grade and I'm sitting down and I remember we're having a conversation about race. And I remember I was just so confused on like what to pick and what to choose. And I knew my parents were black, but I didn't understand like why I look different. And it was super hard to like swallow that pill. And the only thing I remember is, um, my teacher, she sent the black teacher over to talk to me. And so I'm sitting there and I'm talking to her and I just remember the look on her face. She looks so sad and she looks so defeated as like a woman, as a black woman, um, as someone that was like older, just talking to me. And I remember sitting there thinking like, what is her problem? Like, why does she look? And it probably didn't hit me for like years later that I realized like why she was so, um, why she looked so defeated. And I felt bad for her, even though she felt bad for me. And so, and, um, that happened. And then as I got older, everything just changed for me. Just growing up, um, I'm a very outgoing, talkative person, as you can see, if anybody follows me. Um, and growing up, I was always into something. I was always in the crowd. I was always moving. I was always running around. And so with with that came, you know, getting picked on. With that came to dealing with uh, colorism. With that, it was just a lot, right? And I remember, um, you know, just growing up and then I remember I had to make a decision one day like, hey, what do I want to do? Do I want to be quiet? Do I want to kind of want to be reserved, laid back? Or do I want to say, nah, I'm going to be myself and just be out there and whatever comes with that comes with it. And everything just changed for me once I got to high school, to be completely honest. Once I made that decision in high school, it was over. Um, and, you know, it was it was a lot. You know, what I'm saying I had to deal with a lot meeting people. As you can test to, uh, you meet people who have either better vision than you, worse vision than you, um, which is always an eye opener. You deal with certain people who can't be in the sun longer than you, but who can be in the sun way longer than you, you know, mm -hmm. so you're dealing with that. Um, I didn't understand why every time I went outside, I had to put on sunblock as a kid, right? 
Now I understand. Um, I didn't understand why I always had to wear a hat. Now I totally get it. You know what I'm saying? So it was a lot of learning experiences in there. But thank God my mom and my dad was really, like, helpful and really understanding and allowed me to be me. That's awesome. And I appreciate you sharing that. I think it's always interesting um, when it comes to, to albinism, how we all at some point um, have those moments of where like, oh, I am different. And then yeah. it leads to some sort of self-discovery uh, and which hopefully ends up being a, a, a pivot to self-acceptance. Could mm-hmm. you? I heard you mention um, that once you came to the realization that being different wasn't a bad thing and you were like, okay, game over. Yeah. You talked about that. And I'm wondering um, what it was like for the people around you. Like, how did they respond to that? Um, that's a great question. I think, I think the hardest person who probably had to take everything was my mom. Um, just because with her, um, she was around me the most, even though I spent majority of my time with my sister, you know, my dad, you know, I, I grew up in a two parent household. My dad, he worked a lot. Um, you know, it was times that when I woke up every morning, I woke up, my dad was already going to work and it was sometimes I'll go to sleep and he wasn't home yet. So, you know, he was working a lot. So, um, even though my, me and my sister are very close in age, the part person who took it the hardest was my mom. And, you know, me and her had a lot of growing pains of so me going through certain things. She didn't understand, like she's doing her best to try to understand and to, to make me comfortable, things of that nature. And I just remember, um, you know, as I got older, once I got later in high school and then she just saw like the, the, it was like a switch and there's a bigger story in that. But and when that switch happened, I think for her, she realized like, all right, he's going to figure this out on his own. And I think it makes now uh, she's super proud. Now she's super excited, which is funny because off might mean you was talking about the organization Noah. And I remember as a child, she really somebody gave her a pamphlet about Noah she really wanted to take me to conferences. She really wanted me to like go to different things. And I was just like, no, like I was just adamant and no. And so like now it's full circle now that, hey, you know, we're talking 15, 17, almost 20 years later. Now it's kind of like, oh, shoot, maybe I do need, you know, I, I'm reaching out to them now. Like, hey, how can I help um, to turn that? You know, for me, I didn't know nothing about those, you know, about that organization. But now I'm like, hey, I'm learning more about it. I want to help out, things of that nature. So with the people around me, it was just a switch of like, okay, they. I think it was a sense of relief. Mm-hmm. It's the shortest way, even though I just took the longest way to get to that answer. It was like <laughs> a sense of relief, like, okay, he got it. He's figuring this thing out, and he's going to be A-OK. That's that's beautiful, and I like the way you got to that, that conclusion <laughs> um, because it, it kind of highlights, um, one – the impact of, you know, what our parents and the people around us play, but it also, you know, kind of hits on the impact of us learning Mm -hmm. to be comfortable, you know, with our lack of pigmentation. And, you know, some of the things you said kind of hit on this thing that I've been thinking about and talking about. um, And it's the intersectionality of being black and having Mm -hmm. albinism because those are, yeah. Cause like I have friends who, you know, our different ethnicities with albinism, like people who are uh, white with albinism mm-hmm. or um, maybe Puerto Rican with albinism. Mm-hmm. There's so much intersectionality, but specifically yeah. when it comes to being black with albinism, I feel like there's a unique dynamic. Could you talk Absolutely. about maybe some of the things that you noticed um, for you as a person who is black and has albinism? So being someone as black with albinism, I think the biggest difference in if anybody who's watching this, feel free to comment and correct me. So I'm not against that at all. I love being corrected. But um, the one thing I always notice that being black is we're like the only race where we we can't pass for anything else. Right. Like it's hard when people see you and you're black, like every other race. Um, when you meet somebody that's Caucasian and they have albinism, um, while somebody else with albinism can recognize it, everybody else just might assume, okay, they're just white with blonde hair, you know, things of that nature, right? Um, when you see people, whether they're Asian or, you know, Hispanic, things of that nature, and you see them, they have albinism, it's like, all right, 
they're just that race and they people might just assume like they they've dyed their hair so then you come to us uh those individuals who are black and you deal with so much right because now people are questioning what's wrong what happened they asking you questions that you don't even know the answer to um <laughs> and then they start trying to tell you about yourself which is even funnier in itself um and so then you're like fighting against this world where you're showing other individuals like hey i am black you know i am just as black as you we have the same black experience but then on top of that um we share the same black experience but then on top of that i have to deal with a whole different black experience because i have to deal with people that are black as well um which is always interesting which is always um i've told my friends i've said this and like i said i've always asked them to correct me if i'm wrong i said i don't think nobody's dealt with more colorism than me and i said the only person i believe that could deal with that even more is a woman with albinism i was like because um so much happens you know what i'm saying it's hard being out here and you saying hey i'm black and then you want to wear like melanated shirts and you can't get one or you're thinking you know what i'm saying but no i don't think about that everybody make black apparel they don't ever think like oh shoot it's a whole line of black people that have no melanin in their skin right but they're still equally as black um you know then you start looking at in other countries how they treat people with albinism so it's it's always that thing right so yeah so being black and as the project that we're going to discuss is called black and blind it is a difficult dynamic because um you know one of the funnier parts is when i was younger we used to have to find you know photographers that can shoot somebody that you know my dad is brown skin um and then i'm you know on the opposite end of the spectrum you know mm -hmm. in my bigger family we have i have some people that are black and i mean dark black like mm -hmm. dark skin you know what i'm saying and then you have me so who's going to photograph us correctly you know what i'm saying so it's it's always that dynamic yeah yeah you spoke a lot of truth and you know for those listening and watching it's not that we're saying anybody else's experience is any less but mm -hmm. the black experience in and of itself is rooted in so much nuance yeah, I don't people fully understand it. And then you compile it with having a condition where you essentially lack pigmentation, which is the quote unquote marker for being black. And, yeah. you know, the reason why I was like, oh, my gosh, I get it when you were talking about the shirts, because like I'll, I'll be in like Target somewhere and yeah. they'll have like, you know, the picture of a, a black woman in the afro and it'll say mm -hmm. like um, my black is beautiful or something. And I'm like, yeah. dang, I want that shirt. But I will run into the fact that somebody seeing me wear that shirt, like, why are you wearing that shirt? You not black. That, and then I got to go into the whole spiel. So. Whole spiel. And you don't even want to do that. And then you know what it is? It's like um, our race, us, Hispanics, even Asian, um, you know, we produce people. And it's other, it's other, you know, backgrounds yeah. out there that I'm missing. But we produce people of like every shade, right? Mm -hmm. And so sometimes when I look at black, uh, black apparel, mm -hmm. you know, they show little shade markers, right? And it's never mm -hmm. our shade on there. It's either a little bit darker than us, and then it goes all the way to like pitch black, right? And then it's like, dog, am I getting left out there? And then so there's this struggle of, you know, finding your blackness, right? And then as black people, as we know from a normal or we, me and you have never experienced a normal black experience. I don't think nobody's ever experienced a normal black experience. Right. <laughs> what the society labels as normal, um, we we are fighting that. And then we're fighting with everybody else that's black is figuring out, hey, what is our background beyond America um, mm -hmm. and things of that nature? So it's always interesting. And, the, you know, the funny story is I was in college and my teacher, I missed class one day. And my teacher was so upset and me and her was laughing about it because she said, um, I wanted you to share in class. It was an African-American studies class. And she said, everybody has an experience of when they realized they were black. And she said, all the other kids experience um, usually happens around the same time because they're black. You know, they're dark, you know, their complexion. Um, and she said, uh, your experience is two-toned she was like it's just two different areas you remember when you found out that you was black and then you remember when you found out you had albinism and she was like i want you to share it with the class because nobody else had that experience and she was i was like well i wish you would have told me i said because whatever i missed class for something stupid and so me and her laughed at that and then, so it didn't hit me i mean you have these reoccurring things of when you're black like everybody's like oh i remember as a black 
male, this happened, right? And then I have, for instance, I'll give you an example. Everybody, um, all the black males I know, we have an experience when we encountered the police, right? So that happens. Me, I remember the day I got pulled over as a black male. And I remember the day I got pulled over and the police officer didn't know I was a black male. And then as you're looking at my license and then you're realizing like, oh, shoot, he actually is black. How that dynamic change. You know what I'm saying? But nobody else, you know, it's hard to share that experience with other people because they're just not going to understand. So, yeah, there's yeah. always this nuance, like you said, of being black. And I appreciate you sharing that. And, you know, for those who don't know, if you look on my channel and my IG page, I, I did it. I'm doing a black history uh, in albinism, chronic illness and disability campaign. Mm -hmm. And um, I was very intentional in including the story of this one individual by the name of Reverend Jesse Douglas. And mm -hmm. so when when people mostly talk about him, they show him in this picture of where he's walking with Dr. King and they're linking arms and they're actually uh, protesting in a march from Selma to Montgomery, which took 18 days. And he helped mm -hmm. organize this. And so mm -hmm. when I found his story, it gave me a sense of solidarity um in the sense that like dang like i see someone for the first time in my entire life not only in disability history not only in um black history but in the history of people with albinism like mm -hmm. that's that's rare because a lot of us um back then they're in the time of the civil rights movement if you had a disability medical condition mental illness mm -hmm. chronic illness you were institutionalized, which is Absolutely. why I believe you don't see a lot of our, our people in these stories. So, you know, when you talked about that, 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 um, that tension, it is a very real thing. Like, <laughs> and then I think one of the things that stood out to me about your black and blind campaign was the fact that for the first time I got to see art, not just black art or, or art in general, but art showcasing people with albinism in such a tasteful and powerful way <laughs> Look, let me tell you why that's funny <laughs> um so i get accepted into this program mm -hmm. uh this mentorship program at the light factory shout out to them i have to shout them out because they went out on the ledge and they invited seven black photographers to come in and create an exhibit and mm -hmm. none of our exhibit um none of us shot the same thing none of us knew what nobody was shooting um, but at the end, we was able to tell one main story through a curator, which was super amazing. So shout out to them for that. And so I remember I'm talking to the professor, uh, the mentor, and I'm talking to his name is Titus Brooke Higgins. He's from, um, he's actually in North Carolina. He's up there in Raleigh, which is a little far from us, but, um, talking to him and he says, what you want to shoot? And so I tell him, and so I email this to him, right? He calls me immediately. He says, look, I need to talk to you about your project. And I'm like, okay, what's up? And he said, how are you going to shoot these individuals? So I'm telling him and he said, perfect. And I was like, what's going on? And he was like, I, um, he said, he, one of his friends, her name is Nikki. He was explaining about her. And he's talked about how she has albinism and he shoots her occasionally, mm -hmm. um, regularly, excuse me. He said, um, I did not want you to fall into this, hey, I'm shooting uh, people with the albinism. I'm going to objectify them, right? Um, he's like, I didn't want you to do nothing trendy. I didn't want you to do anything where it's like, okay, you know. And I was like, no. I was like, as a person with albinism, when you see it, it's kind of like cringy. Mm -hmm. Nobody don't say nothing. <laughs> so sometimes I feel like, sometimes I feel like with us, we sometimes want to be included on in so much. Mm -hmm. And so we allow ourselves to like, all right, I'll let you do this. And, and it's tough, right? Because I've never seen, I love the NBA. I love basketball. Mm -hmm. um, as you see behind me, I got my tennis shoes up. I used to have mm -hmm. a sports podcast. Like I love basketball, right? I've never seen a person with albinism play basketball, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know anybody with albinism that's in the NFL, you know, so we're talking about sports and you're talking about music. There's a couple of people that do music, a few people that do acting, things of that nature. So it's but it's far in between. Right. Mm -hmm. And so. We love to be included. So, yes, when I was creating this project, my thing was um, I I was very simple. I did kind of like what you're doing now. I was interviewing people. 
Um, some of it was we just sat there and we just talked. And in the midst of talking to them, just snapping. And then mm-hmm. when I got home, um, I was able to look at the pictures and figure out, all right, what told their story and what was able to be said that I think was translated through these images. So it was a super cool experience. And I'm so grateful for everybody that helped um, and everybody that supported because it's still the support is still pouring in. And I'm super grateful for it. Yeah, that's that's dope. And I think, you know, I'm not a photographer, but I am mm-hmm. an artist in, in various capacities from music mm-hmm. to, to visual art. And I think it's important for us to have, you know, things that we can point to and say, wow, I see myself in that, you know, representation. Mm-hmm. And I think um, I think what you said is the difference between someone just taking a photo and someone creating art because you're involving that person's story and their journey and you're compiling that with emotion and lighting and effects to get the desired result of telling that story yeah. versus, you know, like, well, you know, I see you in lingerie, let's snip snap, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no shots fired to anybody, but I'm just saying. Absolutely. Um, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. So we've talked about this project and I bet people are wondering what in the world it is. But before we get to Black and Blind, let's talk about your journey of one, becoming a photographer. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, all right. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I became a photographer uh, in college, my sophomore year of college. Um, Facebook was popping. For those who not know, I was on Facebook probably in like 05, 04, back when Facebook came out and you needed like access to get on. It wasn't just like putting your email sign up. You needed actual access. And so all my friends are still on MySpace at this time. And so by the time everybody got to Facebook, I was there and I remember sitting there and I had no way of, um, excuse me, I'm in college and I'm sitting there on Facebook. And so I'm looking at it and I'm like, man, what's the easiest way to talk to girls? Well, all these girls need their pictures taken, whether it's on Instagram. I mean, excuse me, whether it's on MySpace or Facebook. So I'm like, cool. So I started doing that. And then, um, you know, you just get wrapped up in college. I'm about to graduate. Photography ain't paying no bills. So I'm kind of just like, all right, whatever. We'll see what happens. And I stopped doing it. And um, I graduate. I'm looking for a job. And um, fast forward, I'm looking for a job. Oh, so people start now contacting me like, hey, I'm graduating too. I need graduation pictures. So I'm like, oh, okay, cool, whatever. Taking graduation pictures, making that happen. Then you fast forward and then um, I remember I'm at work one day and I'm about to quit or I'm either going to quit, get a better job or I'm going to get a second job. But I'm really leaning towards the second job because I really liked my job at the time. <laughs> and I remember this young lady she um I'm talking to her and I'm like, yo, I'm about to quit. Like this ain't it no more. I'm not making enough money. I'm or I'm like, whatever. And she goes, Well, why don't you just charge people to take pictures? Mm-hmm. And I was like, it was like the most, it was the simplest thing ever. And it's the simplest thing I've never thought of. And I'm like, wait, what? Charge people? She was like, Yeah, why don't you charge people? Um, fast forward, that woman now is my wife. Shout out to her. And um, it was just funny sitting there and I became a photographer like literally that day, like that day when, um, you know, I had done little gigs before then. But after that, I really started focusing on, all right, how do I make money? How do I help other people? And what do I want to do? Um, Shout out to the Light Factory again, because um, that young lady, like I said, my wife, she was a girl I was still just friends with at work. She bought me a class at the light factory. And I learned so much about how to use my camera, what I'm doing wrong with my camera, things of that nature, which was super cool. Um, and today I'm a full-time photographer. I've been doing it full-time for like four years now. Um, it's a lot of ups, a lot of downs. Um, but it's more ups and downs. I'll tell you that. And it is, it's super fun. I have a photography podcast. Um, I get to travel doing photography, which is super cool. Um, you know, I got a couple weddings that's out, you know, a couple weddings that's out the country this year. Um, oh, wow. I didn't travel. I didn't been places. So I'm I'm grateful for what I get to do every day. Every day I get to wake up and say, all right, this is what I love to do. How do I make it happen? And it's a blessing. Honestly, it's a blessing. That's awesome. I'm curious to know, like, again, shout out to your wife. I'm curious yeah. to know that as a person with albinism, did your level of vision impairment um impact like your journey of becoming a photographer um i'll tell you this 
I was super scared at first, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because when I so I'm I'm one of the lucky ones, and I understand I'm blessed, and I mm-hmm. I'm grateful for that, and I thank God for that every day. Um, because I remember, I remember going to get my learner's permit in high school, right? And I remember um, sitting there and not understanding if I was going to be able to drive. You know what I'm saying? And so I was scared. And I remember, um, you know, sitting there and they have me to do the vision test. And I'm like shaking. I'm like, yo, I'm about to I'm about to just lie, cheat. However, I do this because I wanted to drive so bad. Right. And so I was able to drive and I'm able to drive now today. And I'm super glad. So now you come into you do that. And now you come into where details matter. Um, We're talking about details matter that when you're shooting and. If my if your photos out of focus, you don't want to work with me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, if something, let's say, Joe, I'm I'm being serious, but it's funny enough. Yesterday in my photography group, we we're having a critique, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm. It's my photography group, by the way. So <laughs> I post one of my images, and I'm like, all right. And I know this image is fire. And shout out to her name is Angie Perez. She is mad cool. She is a dope. Puerto Rican photographer in Orlando. She's amazing. And she ripped my photo up and I needed it. It was so truthful. It was so raw, so raw to the point that I DM'd her and was like, thank you for it. And the reason why I'm telling you that is because she pointed out so many details that I missed. And it's one of those things where like now I can't be ashamed. I have to zoom all the way in on stuff. I have to blow stuff up to get little details because, um, <laughs> My dad is going to laugh when he hears this part. My family used to have a cleaning business when I was a kid. We had a janitorial business and they would never let me vacuum. And I never understood why. Mm. And then finally, my mom goes, we don't let you vacuum because you you can't see certain stuff. And like you think you've seen it and you think he's clean and it's really not. And so um, so like now um, I have to really check and double check. And I'm cool with that because at first it's it's embarrassing. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when you're in school, it's one of those things where it's like you don't want to sit on the front row. And then as you get older, you're just like, yo, I have to sit on the front row because my grades is more important than the rest of y'all who ain't going to pass if I'm sitting in the back. <laughs> right? um, and so as you get older and by the time I got to college, I always sat on the front row. I didn't care. I'm like, look, I'm paying for this now. Mm-hmm. It got to happen. Um, and so like now I have to go back and check. I have to double check. I have to zoom in on certain stuff. I have to. And so like now my biggest things have always been my stuff has to be in focus. And I give you a cheat code when I'm photographing, I had to figure out what makes a normal eye say that an image is in focus, right? Mm. Well, if I focused on your eyes, um, a general rule of thought is like the rest of the image is going to be in focus. If your eyes is in focus, nobody's going to say, Hey, her eyes are in focus, but her mouth is a little bit blurry. Nobody's going to say that. But mm-hmm. people notice if your eyes is blurry and your mouth is in focus. People going to be like, Yo, I can't even see her eyes. Like, what's going on? So I have to pay attention to those things, focusing there, understanding what lighting truly is. That's why I was laughing when um uh when you sent out the instructions for the podcast. You was like, you need a good lit room. And I'm always paying attention to those things. So <laughs> it's a lot of things where I pay attention to as well. I'm just being an artist and a photographer and understanding um, where I have maybe a disadvantage at, but I have to make sure I kill it so that I can, you know, be stronger in other areas. That's awesome. And thank you for sharing that. Cause you hit on several things. One, as a no, 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 no. I like it when you hit on, when people like mention several things, cause it, it it's relatable. Um, yeah. Especially as a person with albinism, like as a content creator, uh, when I first started out, I had, typos like you wouldn't believe now yeah. I'm like to the, and and here's the thing like i don't always catch them because of my vision and so mm-hmm. now like maybe i'll have one or two on a rare occasion and somebody may mm-hmm. be like you misspelled this but once it's posted because i'm a perfectionist i'm learning that done is better than perfect in some cases especially when i have put my heart and soul into something and everything else is fine but one thing i'm learning to give myself grace <laughs> um I always remember it's progress over perfection. Yes. That's my motto on everything. Say progress it again over for the people in the back. 
Listen, pri- no matter, and this is um, important. I want everybody to hear this. No matter what you're doing, whether you have albinism or not, um, whether you're an entrepreneur, you're a photographer, you are a podcaster, YouTuber, whatever, get started, yo. Get started, keep it going because progress is always over perfection. Progress will, um, when you get started on something, you're going to make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. It's it's actually funny, you know? Um, and then as you keep going, a lot of people, a lot of us haven't started on our dreams. We haven't started on a project because we wanted to be so perfect, right? Ooh. No, I, no, Gavin, I can't start on my website right now um, because I don't have every exact picture I need or I don't have exactly the information, Ooh. so I'm not going to get started. And the next thing you know, it's five years later and your website is not up. Or we're looking at it and saying, hey, you know, I want to be a makeup artist one day. And it's like, but I don't have every palette that's available. I don't have every concealer, foundation, lip lipstick, whatever the case may be. And then you never get started because you've never, you know, you're so worried about being perfect. But sometimes, you know, um, once you get started, you will figure it out. I'm laughing. I was laughing a little early because you was talking about typos. Um, I used to be a marketing coordinator for uh, Marriott. And so I was there and I remember my um, my. DOSM, so director of sales and marketing, she used to pull me in her office all the time because I was in charge of posting social media content. And she used to talk to me all the time about how I would mess up with typos. And I I didn't know how to tell her basically like, yo, I don't see that. Like I see it now that you pointed it out to me, mm-hmm. but trust me, I did not purposely give you something with that. And then so, you know, but it was one of those things where like now um, I had to realize that, all right, I got to go back. I got to reread stuff three times. You know, then I started what I started doing before I even sent it to her. I was sending it to somebody else. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So you got to live with that. You know what I'm saying? And no matter who you are, you know, um, don't be afraid. If you get it right, that's cool. That's what we all we all strive for for perfection. But you have to get started to get perfect. And so Ooh. just start. Just start. Sir. That's all. Sir. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just say, I talk about this all the time because I'm a advocate for invisible disabilities, disabilities, albinism, and chronic illness. Mm-hmm. And I do like podcasting or social media marketing and design consultations for people who fall under those categories. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people will come to me like, well, all I have is this phone and this rinky dink tripod and I'm trying mm-hmm. to you know, do the right things. <laughs> and I'm like, get started because, and, and it's not something that I'm just like, have this ethereal sense of knowledge, you know, from, yeah. from the clouds. Like I had to learn like the part of um, being perfectionistic is procrastinating at times when you feel like you mm-hmm. can't do something perfect. And so I had to challenge myself and I had to place people around me that would challenge me to say, look, you need to stop overthinking this, put it out there. Like I have a mentor and he, he does a lot. He's a rapper, um, Mm -hmm. content creator, a healthcare executive. The man does a lot. And he really like put my feet to the fire and was like, you need to stop worrying about having the perfect setup in this you need to do what god called you to do because somebody need to hear your message regardless of what little pretty package you're trying to put it in and so it was kind of like okay i need to replace my edges after that um (laughs) but but learning to receive that type of uh of uh wisdom and like act on it like put something out there and not over criticize myself but focus on the messaging that is so key absolutely because then you can always you can always go back um I remember when I first got started and I was trying to uh, I was trying to learn how to pay myself through my business. Right. And so I remember I found this woman's video on how to pay yourself through an LLC. And it was super cool. The video was horrible and it was like 10 years old. And it was like the information was 10, but the design of Mike, the video was like a three. And so I, I laughed because I got notified that she made another video on YouTube. And so I go back and I watch it and she starts the video off and she goes, Hey, if you see my old video on how to pay yourself through an LLC, this is the exact same video. I'm literally going to repeat the same information. And she said, unfortunately, 
that last video got so many views and it helped so many people. I technically can't take it down from YouTube because, you know, I'm still getting views and it's still getting clicks. She's like, but that video is so ugly that for my mindset, I have to really do this for my mental health. I have to redo it, the video. And so I laughed. And then she talked about like, you know, um, the people that have the biggest YouTubes right now, or think if anybody goes back, I encourage anybody, if you listen, no matter what you love, whether it's YouTube, whether it's your favorite podcast, no matter what, uh, your favorite photographer, your favorite artist, your whoever that person is, go find their first ever release. You know what I'm saying? And see what it looks like. And understand that person said, you know what? I don't, they never said this is the perfect whatever, right? They just said, I'm going to get started today. And boom, here it is. Um, I cringe when I look back at like my first set of pictures ever. They're horrible. But I was just out there like, I got to get started, um, you know, and it, it was cool. It was something I enjoyed doing. Um, I think about like I do a lot of maternity work now, um, mm -hmm. photography wise. And I look at like my first maternity photo shoot, which is of my sister, by the way. And she laughs at me all the time because the pictures was horrible. And I think we shot them in our parents living room. Like, that's how bad they are. And it's the colors, it's, oh, my gosh, it's awful. But me and her laugh now from, like, what I used to do and what I do now. And it's just like, look, I had to get started somewhere because if I was ever always trying to be perfect, I would have never got started. So, I, absolutely. Um, just to reiterate, yeah. progress over perfection. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is a, I think that's really important, um, a, a really important message to kind of hammer because sometimes as people with disabilities or or even albinism or vision impairments, we can get so stuck on our symptoms or, mm -hmm. or the things about us that are a bit different that we kind of hinder our own progress in a sense. So I appreciate mm -hmm. you talking about that. And we're going to transition a little bit. So you've talked mm -hmm. about your experience with albinism and photography and how those things kind of intertwine, I'm curious to know um, what it has been like for you now that you have reached a level of professionalism um, in your career. Um, for me now, it's, it's super interesting now. Um, so I go back for, I go back when I was working in the corporate world, that was always interesting for me. Um, sometimes, <laughs> all right. Let me tell you why that's interesting. The, the the joke is, the gag is that nobody talks about is that when you're black and you have albinism, sometimes you get in spaces where people forget that you're black, right? And you're sitting in these spaces and people are sharing their thoughts on people of color and then they forget like, oh shoot, this person is actually a person of color. And you have to remind them like, hey, no, I'm gonna call you out on, you know, your discrimination of you being prejudiced or you being racist, whatever the case may be. Right. And so that's, I've been in those situations where I've been in corporate rooms, I've been in corporate meetings. Um, and I understand that sometimes I've been in some of those rooms because I made other people feel comfortable. Hey, we got a black guy here, but he looks our same, you know, he's our same shade. Um, we, we should be fine. Right. So I've been there. Um, and then I remember, you know, the transition is uh, now we're fighting injustices and now I'm in these corporate rooms and I'm like, I well, newsflash, sorry for y'all, I'm black. So now I'm cutting up, you know what I'm saying? I don't understand certain things. I'm putting y'all feet to the fire. Um, when I used to work um, for, I used to work for a company and I remember, um, you know, doing Black History Month or just black events, I wanted to know why black people, why our organization wasn't targeting or helping or assisting people of color but they were helping other organizations so you know now i'm in those rooms and i'm i'm demanding answers um and so that was that and so i finally leave corporate um america and now so i work for myself so now being a person with albinism it's super it's super interesting and cool now because i face i work with uh certain people and um a lot of times i'm their first person that they met or come across that has albinism, right? Or I'm their child's first encounter with somebody with albinism. And so now, um, you know, once they leave me, their child is asking questions. Their child wants to be educated. Their child is one to, oh, you know, their child to see something. I have a friend um, and she, I remember she told me her daughter saw uh, an ad with a child with albinism in it. And she was like, oh, that kid looks like our photographer. You know what I'm saying? And she was, 
told me just how excited her daughter was like hey i know exactly why this person looks like this this person has albinism my photographer looks the exact same way so like now i'm in those situations where you know there is times where i get to educate individuals there are times where it's like you know it's super fun i get to meet people of different walks of life um you know i've shot people with albinism through this project so that's like a whole different aspect mm -hmm. um so yeah it's it's been a blessing it's been super interesting though yeah and and you hit on kind of the next question i thought uh -huh. about is like your project black and blonde i know we've talked about it a little bit but mm -hmm. if you could explain it for those who aren't sure what it is and then talk about what it's been like for you as a person with albinism to pursue this um so all right so i got started uh shout out to lala milan she's a uh she's a creator uh a content creator she's super cool and i was where were we at we were in vegas and me and her were sitting and we were talking and um by the way sorry uh, I call this a squirrel moment. If you're ever in Vegas and you have albinism, please make sure you bring all the sunblock in the world. Um, but yes, please bring all that. So um, super cool place. So anyway, I'm in Vegas. I'm talking to uh, Jay and we're sitting there and um, she asked me, have I ever thought about shooting people with albinism? And I'm like, yeah, I want to, but I just don't know the project. And she said, look, I promise you if you dive into this project, because we're bouncing ideas at this moment. And she said, if you dive into this project, it's going to change your world. It's going to change your life. You need to. You need to tap into this. And so I, I'm like, all right. And she's before we, you know, we're out there for a few days. And before um, I come back to Charlotte and she goes back to L.A., um, she, she looks at me. And she said, do this project. I promise you, you need to do it. And she even texts me later to see if I got started on it. And so I was super grateful and thankful. So I have this grand project. I still need to do that particular project that me and her discussed. Um, and that's a whole nother subject, like um, trying to figure out the right way of photographing people with albinism. So anywho, um, I'm on my way back home and I get presented with this opportunity to be in a mentorship program. And I'm like, all right, I know I got a baby coming. I know my life is about to switch up and change. And so I do not have time for this mentorship program. So I, I fill it out, but I understand that I probably won't be selected just because I don't have the time and um, it's just a lot going on. Right. And I get selected. And so now I'm like, oh, shoot, what am I going to do? And so I was like, well, I always wanted to shoot this project. I want to shoot people with albinism. So to fast forward, um, I told you I told you guys earlier about me talking to Titus and Titus is like, oh, yeah, this is right on. Like, do this project. So now I'm presented with this opportunity. Um, my I have um and I send you the link so we can share with everybody. But um on there, I do an artist statement of why I chose to shoot people with albinism. And my main goal um is said in the last sentence, which is I want everybody to see themselves mm -hmm. and I want everybody to see themselves in us. Um especially for people that's black. Um it's tough, you know. My goal throughout this whole project was um, when I when I spoke to everybody that had albinism and I whether I spoke to the uh, kids' parents or the actual individuals, I told everybody I was like I would love that now that the kids that come up after you know me and you when they go mm -hmm. to school that hey everybody gets picked on in, in school right mm -hmm. but maybe it turns into hey um, we are getting picked on on an equal level so to speak right. Or, you know, we're now it's really just jokes. It's just kidding around. It's not really I'm trying to be hurtful, things of that nature. And only way we get there is if people are educated on people with albinism, like to understand, yeah. hey, ages, why you look like this? Um, or why is your hair that color? You know, um, as most people see, the hair on my hair, head is blonde. Uh, shout out to everybody that always assumes I'm bald until they meet me and they realize, oh, he actually has hair. And then, you know, the hair on my beard is brown. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? I even have black hairs in here. I have a lot of blonde hairs, but it mixes in and it looks brown. And so you're doing that. Um, I want to be able to I want to be able to help. So pe more people are just educated on this matter. And part of that is, hey, we got to start presenting people out there more. So like, yes, there needs to be a thing, whether it's, you know, we can start a black history and then we got to start knocking out these other, you know, other months. But it's like, hey, when we start talking about black people, where are the people with albinism? Um, you know, people that have other 
um, when it's black opportunities, other people, there's plenty of content creators that have some form of disabilities, but where are they? Why aren't we highlighting those individuals? So we need to start talking about those things. And so I'm getting there and this project had, I knew the subject, but it was just missing something. And so my first project, um, my first two shoots I did, my professor didn't like it. Me and him mm -hmm. laugh about it now. He hated it, which was fine because it caused me to go back. And after those first two projects, um, I realized I wasn't really talking to the individuals I was shooting. And so then it turned into now I'm talking to all these subjects, um, people with albinism, and I'm asking them about their experiences. Mm -hmm. You know, I shot one um, gentleman. He was, I, I want to say, like mid-50s. Um, his experience was totally different from the six-year-old I shot. You know, um, I shot her mom and shout out tomorrow. She just had her baby. She's up there near you, matter of fact. And me and her had um, me and her had talked. And so we're I'm talking to her and I'm talking to her as a woman. Like, what was it like to have albinism, whether it was, you know, going to school, dating, things of that nature, um, you know, meeting people. And she's an educator. So I was talking to her like, hey, how is it? Like some of these kids, they're going to remember that, man, my teacher has albinism and they're going to remember that. So now when they meet somebody in high school, that's super dope that by the time they get to high school, you know, they're going to be like, oh, no, I already know that kid. That kid has albinism. The reason why I know, because my third grade teacher had albinism, you know, things of that nature. And we all know me and you both know, like when you meet kids, they don't really have a filter. They ask questions and they just want to know the answer. They don't care. They just like, yo, I want that answer. So that situation. And so I'm talking to different individuals. Um, I met a young man who was, he was, uh, I think he was in an eighth grade. And so, you know, he's excited for high school, but he's super nervous for high school. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and then the cool part was um, I took my dad on the shoot with me. So he was able to talk to uh, the parents, mm -hmm. you know, which was super cool for him. Um, my sister got to speak to one of the moms of the, uh, the six-year-old I shot and it was super cool there. Um, and so, you know, now we're connecting and you're connecting families and you're just having this, this cool network. So it was an eye-opening experience and the lessons I learned was just amazing to, they were just amazing, to be honest with you. Um, mm. I realized that a lot of people had the same experiences I had, but now I'm talking to people that had totally different experiences than I had. Mm -hmm. That, that's I think that's really beautiful. And it speaks to the fact that, you know, we always say the black experience is not a monolithic experience. We know that. Absolutely. But the same <laughs> is true with albinism. Like living with albinism is not something that is, you know, a, a, a one size fits all mm -hmm. perspective. Like we all have different challenges experiences but the things that tie us together are some of those common things that we experience like mm -hmm. you know the kids you know not having any filter <laughs> like yeah. all of us can relate to that I i've been daddy what's going on i, yep. had a, I was in a grocery store yep it always happened at the grocery store <laughs> always and i was like i guess i was like looking at like canned goods or something like this close uh-huh and i don't have really good peripheral vision so like my hearing is where I, I depend on like determining gotcha. direction is. And so I, I, you know, turn and I'm looking for my brother and I see a little girl walk past and on the next aisle, like when she got past the aisle, she goes, mommy, I saw an angel. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's actually cool. <laughs> and then I've had other stories where uh, a parent and the child, I was at yeah. the end of the cashier aisle and they both were just pointing at me and staring at yeah. me as I walked by. That was not cool. Um, yeah. You know, the, the sad part is we all have those experiences and then it's like you think you're the only one until you meet somebody else, right? Mm -hmm. um, I've had that. I've had situations where people didn't want to touch me. Um, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, it's something you know, I remember one time um, we was at a summer camp and I was like, me and my sister was super, super young. We were at a summer camp and it was like a Christian summer camp. Right. Mm -hmm. So we we're having prayer. And I remember like it was like two girls. They were super cool with me. Right. Mm -hmm. But they refused to like hold my hand when it was time to pray. 
And it was just like, and they both told me, they were just like, nah, I don't want to get what you got. Like you deal with those type of things, right? Yep. And then and then you come across the complete opposite is you'll meet somebody. And I've met, I remember I met a guy and he told me he wished he had albinism. I was just yep. like, I was like, really? And like, you know, <laughs> but it was like, you have those situations. And, you know, that came full circle because I'm shooting one of the subjects. And I remember um the older guy who I shot, man, uh, he was the second person with albinism I ever met. And I'm super grateful for him. But I remember sitting with him. Um, he's the second person I ever met. I went to high school with his daughter. And I remember sitting there with him and talking to him. And he asked me, he said, how's everything going? I said, everything's good. Everything, you know, like now everything's in life is perfect, you know, whatever. And so me and him, and he was like, all right. And he was like, man, um, excuse me i was i was talking to him and i was like so how's everything with you and he's like man i've come such a long way and i'm like i bet you know what i'm saying you're at an age i can't wait to get to and he said man he said i grew up in new york having albinism during the crack era and i just remember i just sat there and he said dude he said people like you now you know about albinism and the, the generation under you is learning more and he said when i was coming up nobody knew what albinism was it was so mm -hmm. far in between he said people used to keep their kids in the house like whatever he said i grew up in new york when crack was in the streets and he said it was rough for me he was like every day i walked out of my house and i had to fight because mm -hmm. somebody wanted to pick on me and they thought you know i had to fight for my life literally and he was talking about family members that didn't want to deal with him because of the way he looked and he's like i had to deal with that as a child i had to deal with that growing up he's like it made me a tough man today and i remember sitting there thinking like Okay, I didn't been, I didn't got in a couple of fights as a guy. You know, people try you, you got to fight. Mm -hmm. And I remember, like, but listening to him saying, no, it was every day for me. I walked out my house and I had to fight every day. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I remember one time he told me, he said, um, like his dad told him, like, nah, you're not coming back into the crib until you fight. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're not yeah. going to let them just pick on you. And he was like, I had to deal with that. And so now, and then I'm thinking about my issues. And I'm like, well, my issues are so minor compared to this. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> it's amazing. You meet people and they share similar experiences with you. But then, you know, um, as a child, I was taught like, hey, you know, everybody don't carry the same cross and you got to be cool with carrying yours and you got to you got to be grateful to carry yours. So I had to understand that. And that was an eye opener for me as well. Wow. You thank you for sharing that because you dropped some gems and, and that gentleman <laughs> dropped some gems. And I've always had like a special reverence for older people. But like yeah. when you meet someone who's older and who's lived with like albinism or vision impairment or something like that, it's like a whole nother level of respect because they grew up in a different time, you know, mm -hmm. where information wasn't at their fingertips and they had to kind of to, to rough it out or tough it out. So yeah, hearing that is always it brings to, to mind like how far we've come and being grateful for that, but also being aware of because of the things they went through, we get the opportunity to educate people so that nobody has to go through that again. Absolutely. So we're going to take a pivot. Um, okay. We're, we're entering the, the last phase, man. And I want you to kind of share um, what has helped you to become better and not better. What or who? Um. Uh. I have to say my family, um, it has to be my family. I have to, I have to, uh, I have to thank them and praise them. And, um, part of my project was, uh, each set I was going to, I wanted to dedicate each set to a family member of mine's. Right. And by the time I got to the end and I wanted to dedicate the whole set, I ended up dedicating the whole set to my mom. And the reason why is because, um, like I told you earlier, sorry, I was just thinking about how I'm going to present this. Um, so like I told you earlier, like my mom was there through every little growing pain that I had, um, everyone. And even though I had both parents in the home and I'm super close with my sister, um, you know, my sister was there as like a protector sometimes, even though she's younger than me. And if anybody see, see my sister, she's like 90 pounds holding 90 pounds she's a tiny little thing and but my sister always had like this big thing like nobody is gonna mess with my brother 
I'm not having that. And she used to always do that. And I, you know, it used to make me laugh as a kid, but it was, I was super grateful for it. Right. Uh, my dad used to always want to make sure I was a OK. He didn't care what it took. He's willing to do whatever it took to make sure I was OK. And he always was a protector as well. Um, but my mom was a lot different because she was like she would she if my mom could fix everything, she would have. I believe my my sister and dad would, too. But my mom was just a little different because she was more vocal. She was more of a look. I'm trying to understand. She was out there looking for help, looking for information, looking for stuff I didn't even know uh, about. Like I said, she found Noah, that organization. And, you know, she was willing to do whatever. My mom was like, look, we can get in the car right now and go to whatever conference meeting, whatever. So it was super dope. But um, my family was like my rock just because it was like, hey, we're going to be okay, but what can we do to make you okay, to make you strong, to make you feel, um, you know, comfortable, whatever that may be. So, you know, if it was times when, you know, I used to have this thing, and I, I tell all parents now, especially parents of little boys, your son is not going to want to wear sunscreen, right? And so that was the joke about me doing this whole project. I'm speaking to little boys, and I'm explaining to them like, hey, your mom wants me to talk to you that you need to be putting on your sunscreen. And I didn't have, no, you know, my mom used to just tell me all the time, but I never had nobody else to come to me and tell me that. And so, but my family used to do this thing where they would pack sunscreen for me because I would magically forget. And so it was a joke. It was super funny. And so I remember like having those experiences and like now um, transitioning to like, I married this woman, my wife, and she's beyond amazing. And I always felt like she never saw me it's like different or looked at me different or looked at me. It was like, oh, you have albinism, um, which I was super grateful for um, because she just treats me like a black man. And now, mind you, she understands that I have some uh, some some areas where I'm just not strong at or I'm just, you know, and she fills in the gaps. And I'm super grateful for that. You know what I'm saying? So I'm super helpful. I'm super grateful. I try to be super helpful. And those understanding like all of that and understanding that, hey, there might be an opportunity for me to help out in the future and to give back. I believe everybody, no matter who you are, what you do, you need to find your purpose in life. And for me, I understood that my purpose was to help other people through photography, um, whether it's through their business, whether it's in telling their story, however I may do. And because I'm able to do that, um, I believe that is my purpose. And that's how I'm able to give back to this world. And, um, you know, that helps me not to be bitter. Literally, mm -hmm. it literally understanding that. And with the help of God and my family, and it's just been, they just been my rock. And I'm super grateful, super thankful, super blessed. I can't even stress that enough. Like I am lucky. Um, and awesome. I remember those days where I was just like, I ain't lucky. Like, what am I doing? Like, what is going on? How did we get here? You know, and now I'm looking back. I'm like, I wouldn't have it no other way. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know any other way, but I wouldn't have it no other way. If, you know, somebody said, hey, we can give you this. I'm like, nah, because it, it makes me who I am now as a photographer, especially in my city. I get recognized because of the way I look now, which is super funny. Um, You know, so I'm well, one of the well-known photographers just in Charlotte, just because people, they see the work. And then they'll see me on Instagram. And then when they run into me, whether it's at a restaurant or at a bar or wherever the case, no matter where I may be at, right? They'd be like, hey, aren't you Gavin? And I'm like, yeah. And then they'll go into a whole different discussion. But I'm very recognizable. So I'm super grateful for it. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And shout out to your family and, of course, the guy. Um, yeah. <laughs> With that being said, I want to give you the opportunity to plug all of the things that you want to plug, whether it be your socials, your projects, your YouTube channel, your podcast, you know, you name it, name it. Cool. Um, I want to everybody just do me a favor. Check out um, my Instagram is I am underscore Gavin B. Um, look up Gavin .com and you'll find me on all those. If you look in, if you no matter what social network you're on, if you type in I am underscore Gavin B. Uh, check it out. I will say this. Um, I would love for everybody to check out the Paid and Exposure Photography Podcast. It's catered to black and brown photographers. Um, what that means is why we accept any and everybody. We want everybody that's a photographer or videographer to, to tune in and chime in. Um, it is catered to black and brown photographers. So it gets a little fun. We talk about a little bit of everything, all black and brown issues. But we we love everybody that's in there and everybody is in there. 
Um, so check that out. And if you ever get a chance, um, definitely go to my website and check out the Black and Blind um, exhibition. It's right now. It's up at the Light Factory. Um, it's going to be moving around, but it's going to be up to the middle of this year. So I'm super excited for that and super grateful. Thank you again for sharing that. And I just want to say thank you for, you know, gracing us with your talent, your time, your wisdom, your presence, all those wonderful things. And, you know, I look forward to having more conversations and working with you. Um, and to those who tuned in on the live and who will see this on the replay, just want to say thank you. You guys are the real MVPs. And without further ado, remember to become better and not bitter one day at a time. There you go.